Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Wesley Matthews. Uh, probably probably uh, run into either my daughter or son here. And uh, I was asked to do a little chapel message here for you today. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, if you like it, you can tell them you want me back. And if not, say no, we don't want him back again. But uh, let, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here this afternoon and to learn about how you want us to live. We thank you for the many blessings that you have given to each and every one of us and placed into our lives, especially this school. May we honor you today and always. Amen. So how many of you like math class? Well, we got a couple. Okay, that's good. That's nice. And who's the who's the math teacher that you guys have? Everyone's Mrs. B. Well, she's not here, so that's good, huh? Is she is she nice? You like her? Is she hard? <laughs> well, math is one of those uh, pretty important subjects, that's for sure. But when uh, when I was in fifth grade, we had this math teacher. His name was Mr. Duke. He was a big guy. And quite honestly, we all thought he was kind of mean. But we were probably wrong because we were just little kids at the time. What do we know? But he was tough. He didn't let you count on your fingers. He had these, this is back when they beat kids. He had this big rod and if he caught you counting his fingers, he'd come smack your fingers. And if you were bad in his class, he gave you two choices. He said you could either be benched for five minutes or you could take the book challenge. Now, being benched just means you're losing like five minutes or 10 minutes of your recess time. And to a fifth grader, eh, that's pretty important. That playtime is, that's the highlight of the day when you're in fifth grade. Or, you could take the book challenge. Now, the book challenge was interesting because he took you and he stood you next to a wall and he took books. I've got two hymnals here. And instead of being benched for five minutes, you stood next to the wall like this for five minutes. And I don't know if I could still do that today. Most kids fail because sometimes he would walk by and Maybe he would add a couple more books to it. If the books fell, then you got double the bench time. And it wasn't always fun, but it was a risk. What did you want to do? Did you want to take the risk and drop the books? Or did you just want to sit out and miss five or ten minutes of recess time? It was kind of a gamble, kind of a risk. Well, I wasn't bad, so I never had to do that, but many of the kids did. And they would take the challenge, and uh, he, would kind of, he would kind of gauge how many books he think that you think you could handle. And, and they weren't hymnals like this. They were gigantic dictionaries. And most of the kids failed at that task because it's pretty challenging. You can try it sometime. Yeah, 
<laughs> we have dictionaries here. Get the unabridged uh, Oxford dictionaries. There you go. Now you're probably sitting there, okay, that's a nice story, but what does this have to do with chapel or the Bible? Well, the, the Bible passage I picked out today was from Exodus chapter 17. And this is about Moses and the Amalekites. Now I'm sure everyone is familiar with Moses. What are some things we know about Moses? Anyone just shout them out. What do you know about Moses? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, our, our impression of, of Moses might be, uh, or other biblical characters, might be from, say, something we've, we've seen on TV. And, uh, eh, you know, sometimes it's maybe a little more dra dramatic. Maybe sometimes it's not as dramatic as what it actually was. But up until at least Exodus 6, uh, 17, we know, as, as readers, we know a little bit about Moses. We know about his birth. We know that uh, uh, he was hidden in a basket and placed in some reeds by the water. And Pharaoh's daughter came along and rescued the baby, if you will. And the mother got to raise the baby for a few years. And then Moses went and lived uh, with the Pharaoh's daughter, lived as royalty, grew up in uh, the royal household. But then one day, as Moses grew up, he was older, he saw one of his brethren, one of the other Hebrews, one of the other Israelites, getting beaten by an Egyptian. And he didn't like that. I mean, he did something that wasn't very nice, wasn't very good. He killed the Egyptian. And then after he did that, he fled. He fled to Midian. But while he was in Midian, he met his wife, Zephora, and he started his family, or he married his wife, and he started his family there. And he worked for his father-in-law, who was a shepherd, and he went out and he watched the sheep, watched the flock. And one day while he was out there, he saw that burning bush and thought it was strange because that bush was not burning up. So he went over to see it. And as he got closer, he heard what? He heard God talk to him. And when God talks to you, you better listen. That's for sure. Well, at any rate, God had called him to free his people from enslavement with the Egyptians. He called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt to freedom. And this is also where God uses uh, that walking stick, that staff, the shepherd's crook that uh, he had. He uses that staff as a sign. Remember, he threw it down on the ground and it turned into a, a snake. And then when he picked it up by the, the, the tail, it turned back into his staff again. And that was the sign to, for Moses and for the Israelites to know that this was God. God was with Moses. God was telling Moses what to do. So after seeing that, Moses heads back to Egypt to rescue the Israelites. There he meets up with his older brother, Aaron. And he goes to Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh doesn't do it, as we know. And God brings on the plagues. 
Now, I'm sure we can't all name all 10 of the plagues, can we? How about that? We can probably get, you can, that's, that's good. But there are 10 plagues, blood, frogs, flies, gnats, lice, um, the livestock, and leading up to the killing of all the firstborn. And this is where the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were instituted. So after that, Moses leads the people out of Egypt, get to the Red Sea, oh boy, we're trapped. Moses holds up his arms, the Red Sea opens up, and they cross on dry land. And they're, they're safe. But as they're out there, the Egyptians or the Israelites get hungry and thirsty. God provides manna for them to eat. He provides quail for them to eat. Moses strikes the rock with his staff again, strikes the rock, and out comes water. They have food. They have water. They have what they need. That gets us to chapter 17. That's what we know about Moses so far. The Ten Commandments hasn't happened yet. None of this stuff happened yet. This is up to Exodus 17. And let me read from Scripture now. Exodus 17, verses 8 to 15. This is where they run into the Amalekites. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalekite from under heaven. Moses built an offer and called it, The Lord is my banner. So this story, as I said, comes as Moses and the Israelites are out in the desert now. They're unhappy with their situation. They're complaining. They're grumbling. Kind of sounds like us sometimes. Sometimes we don't like our situation and we complain about it. But God provided for them. He provided food. He provided water. He provided them direction. And God provides for each of us today as well, whether we think about it or whether we see it or not. But, but remember that staff. He had to hold that staff up. That's the staff of God. God specifically told him back in Exodus chapter 4 to take this staff in your hand you will be able to do miraculous signs with it. And we've seen that, and we'll see it more as you continue to read Exodus and learn about Moses. That staff was the staff of God. 
There wasn't anything special about it. It was Moses' staff, but God is what used, used that as his sign. So the Amalekites then come and attack the Israelites. Now, uh, Lemelech was the grandson of, grandson of Esau, who was Jacob's twin brother. They were semi-nomadic people. It means they wandered around kind of whenever they felt like it. They weren't very nice people. They were incredible fighters, though. They were warriors. However, they were not noble warriors. They did not fight fair. And so they were a tough enemy to beat. But Moses calls on Joshua to go get some men and to fight them. This, by the way, is the first time that we see Joshua in the Bible. He just shows up. And he's leading this army to go fight these incredible warriors. So Moses said he would go and he would stand on top of this hill with the staff of God in his hands. And when he held up his hands, holding that staff of God, the Israelites were winning. But when he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when his hands grew tired, his friends, his family, came and helped him. They put a stone under him so Moses could sit down, rest a little bit. And Aaron got on one side and held up his arm. And Ur on the other side held up his arm. And Joshua and the Israelites overtook the Amalekites. It's actually a pretty short story. But there's some real significance to it. I personally believe the word of God only has one meaning. And that means whatever God meant it to mean at the time. However, it can be applied in so many ways throughout time, throughout the eras. And I believe that in order to win this battle, Moses had to surrender to God. He held up his hands as an appeal to God for help. And without his surrender, the Israelites would not have won against the Amalekites. Did you ever, you know, ever be in church and uh, you wonder, some people, maybe they're, they're singing a doxology, which is a, a, a praise to God, and they hold their hands like this, they hold their hands up. Or maybe there's just other songs that, that people are so moved to hold their arms up in the air like this. You've seen that sometimes? Well, that's why they do it. It's surrendering to God. It's saying, God, control my life. Control the situation. I give up. And that's also kind of, if you ever watched any old Western movies, anybody watch any old Western movies? Yeah, they say, what do they say? Come out with your hands in the air. Stick them up. You're surrendering. That's what it is. You're surrendering. And that's what, that's what Moses is doing. He's surrendering to God. He knows that the Israelites can't win this battle. But God can. So he surrenders to God. He trusts God. And it's the same way. You know, maybe you're around the house helping your parents do something. An important task. You know, maybe something's broke. And what's your job? To hold the flashlight. 
What a boring job holding the flashlight. Do you know how many times as a kid I had to hold the flashlight? It's boring. But guess what? It's extremely important. If you're holding the flashlight up here and the person's working over here, they can't see what they're doing. Or if you're not holding the flashlight, they can't see. It's a boring job, but it's a very important job for that person to help get the job done. Moses was a strong leader. He was a man of faith. And we read about Moses continuing on in the Old Testament for quite a bit. And then we also read about him some more in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews, in that book of faith. Because he was a faithful man. He did what God told him to do. He was a strong leader. He was a faithful man. But as we saw in our story, he needed help. Everybody needs help sometimes. He got tired. Aaron and her helped Moses hold up his arms. And I often thought, you know, back in elementary school in fifth grade when, when the teacher had kids hold up the books, yeah, I wonder if someone could come alongside and help them hold their arms up. Surely they'd be able to hold up their arms much longer then. But Aaron and Ur were there to help out. Aaron, of course, is Moses' older brother, and her was a friend, um, probably a nobleman. There's not a whole lot in the Bible about him, but that's probably what he was. And because of that help, Moses held up the staff of God, and the Israelites won. It's important for us to remember, too, that we all need help sometimes. We can get that from our family and from our friends. You know, maybe you have an older brother or older sister, younger brother, younger sister, whatever, and you say, oh, they're so annoying. They're bothering me. Leave me alone. Go away. Or maybe it's the other way around. You're bothering them. And sometimes, I'm sure we also also have friends that maybe bother us at times, get annoying. Maybe we say some stuff, or maybe they say some stuff. But they're our friends. We need friends. We need family. And we can see this in the New Testament. Can anybody think of any friends that were together in the New Testament as well? The ones that jump out at me, of course, Jesus and his disciples, but in particular, you know, Jesus had the, the 12 apostles, 12 disciples, which is a nice group of friends and followers, but he really had three close friends. And then within that group of three, Peter, James, and John, he really had one close, close friend, Peter. And as we know, all the apostles left him on that night. But also, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were really good friends. And in fact, if you read some of the conversations with them, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus spoke their mind to Jesus. They didn't mess around. And that's what true friends can do. True friends can, can really talk to you and tell you the truth about maybe something you're doing 
wrong or maybe something that you said that hurt somebody else, but also to lift you up and to build you up. That's what true friends are for. Some others, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, those were friends that they led to other friends to, to continue the, the Christian music uh, movement to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, some more friends. And in particular with Timothy, they were very loyal friends. Friends that take care of him. Remember at the towards the end of his life, Paul was in prison. And he needed help. He was alone. He was cold. He wrote letters saying, bring me my cloak, bring me my scroll. He wrote those letters to his friends. He wrote letters to churches, too. And even one of his friends wasn't a friend at one point in time, if you remember the story of Mark. Something happened that Paul got upset with Mark and said, I'm done with him. But then later on, he said, bring Mark back to me. He's useful to me. So sometimes we maybe have disagreements with our friends. We have disagreements maybe with our family. But we should come back to them. Friends and family are important, not only to us today, but to the people of the New Testament time, as we saw with Jesus and Paul. But also going way back to Moses. He couldn't hold his arms up in the air from sunrise to sunset. He needed friends to help. He needed his brother to help. Friends and family are important. So our time is closing up here. Any, any questions or anything anybody wants to say about anything? Moses had to surrender. Surrender himself to God. To God's plan. To what God wanted. And we need to do the same today as well. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and depend not on your own understanding. Any, any questions or any comments? Anything anybody wants to say? All right, well, let's just close with a word of prayer here. Lord, we thank you for giving us an example of a faithful servant in Moses. We know that he was not perfect as none of us are, but help us to surrender our lives to you as he surrendered his life to you. We thank you for our friends and family who are there to help us when we're tired and when we're weak. But most of all, we thank you for your perfect son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray and give thanks today. Amen.